Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Today we're, we're talking through this series, The Real Jesus, in the book of Mark. Um, I don't know about you, but I have, I have loved going through this series and just digging into this gospel and all the stories of Jesus. Uh, absolutely love it. Um, as we get into this next story that we're going to talk about today, I, my, I wonder how many of you struggle with anger at inanimate objects the way that I do. Here's the thing. It's hey mean things to them and they don't, they don't get their feelings hurt. Um, I think of like old chainsaws. Old snowblowers. And every time, you know, you're, you're going like this, and every, every one I'm getting more mad. Like, this is stupid. Start, you dumb thing. And the anger just wells up. Some of you know what that's probably like. Uh, anger just boiling to the surface over inanimate objects. Some kids don't understand this one, but the TV remote back in the day, batteries start to go down, and you really want to watch a show. And you're like, come on, you stupid thing. And you try it for like three minutes instead of getting up and touching the TV. Um, kids don't understand how angry that inanimate object can make you. Um, the, only, the closest thing they've got to it is internet that's not working. That one's pretty bad also. Um, and then we do, we do interesting things with doors. We get really mad at doors. And I don't understand this one. And you might be like, Helen, why do you get so mad at doors? It's, maybe it's not the doors that I get mad at. It's the things around my life, and the only thing that I can take it out on is the door. We slam doors like it's nobody's business. Um, there was one time I remember there was a leak underneath my sink. And it was bad enough leak, like it, the water went down into the, the basement ceiling. There was a water spot and stuff. And as I don't do very well with these situations, you guys. <laughs> And I remember at one point I took the cupboard drawers and I just slammed them shut. Well, we had, we had kids' locks, child locks things. Both of them busted. Never told my wife. Again, me preaching is like confession time for my wife, the things that I haven't told her. Why, why these children, children's locks have been broken for the last five years. I got mad at the cupboards one day. But we, we get like that with inanimate objects. We get angry. And we, we can take it on that because they're not people. And the story that we're going to actually look at today, it actually might make you feel better about your anger at inanimate objects. Because you're going to see Jesus get mad at an inanimate object. Now, the, the, the inanimate object that he gets mad at, it's, it's a little tiny tree. And some of you might say, you might have two questions in your mind. The first question is probably, hey, Kellen, I don't think that a tree is an inanimate object. It's living. I killed it. I wanted to clear that up with you. The second question that you might have is, was Jesus' anger at this tree really like the kind of anger that I experienced? There's no way Jesus had that kind of anger. Yes, you're probably right. I think Jesus' anger was a little bit different. But in this story, you're going to see, like, it, it almost feels a little bit uncomfortable, what Jesus does to this tree. How can Jesus getting mad at a tree teach us something about the real faith that he's calling us to. And I think it can be really easy to miss this in this story if we, if we don't look at it the right way. Real Jesus is not some crazy dude walking around wilderness areas getting mad at certain trees and just cursing them 
Like, that's not who Jesus is. It's, that's like, more like me, okay? That's the kind of thing that I would do. That's not what Jesus would do. So why would Jesus do what he's going to do in this story? He's so methodical in helping you and I understand what his hopes and expectations are for us. And there's something really methodical that, that he does in this story that, that I think, just like everything else with Jesus, it's brilliant. And so we're going to look at this, uh, again, it's in Mark chapter 11, starting off in verse 7. Again, it's a longer passage we're going to go through, but honestly, this whole passage, it really ties in together. It seems like it's kind of disconnecting stories, but it ties in together. And so uh, follow along with me, starting in verse 7. It says, when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut off in the fields. They had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not seasoned for the figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple, the house of prayer for all nations. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the, out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins." Let me just pray real quick. Lord, I pray as we uh, just kind of talk through this passage right now, I pray that you will bring to mind in each of our minds and hearts exactly what you want. Help us to, to learn and grow and understand you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to do something a little bit different right now. I'm going to kind of give you an old, I would kind of go through kind of point by point this, what the point of this passage I think actually is. Normally I would kind of go through kind of point by point. I'm going to start off, Here's what this whole passage is about. And the reason for it is because is it is really hard looking at this whole scripture. Okay, how does this tie all together? But again, I really think it ties together well. So here's the essence, I think, of what Jesus is teaching in this, in this chapter. Real faith has a different look and a different feel to it. It's not just the right words being said. It's not religion that is void of relationship. It's praying and it's believing. It's going out of your way to forgive rather than take advantage of. Real faith moves mountains because God moves pe through people who are seeking after him and who are living at peace with others. So there it is. There's everything you need to know. Time to go home. Get out of here. No. 
obviously, I, I'm, I'm not going to like preach for four minutes, okay? We're going to go a little further into this, but that's, that is the essence of what this chapter is about. And in verse 7 here, you've got Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt. He deliberately chose a colt. He deliberately chose this, this young animal rather than this, this big, huge, massive war horse. And the reason for it is, is he didn't want to come into this city as a conquering general. He wanted to come into the city as a man of peace. Coming, coming in on a colt meant he was a man of peace. But it's really fascinating to me that while he was riding in on a colt, it's like the people didn't get it. Of all the times that people would give absolute praises to Jesus, this was like that moment. He's trying to say, no, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want you to do that right now. And they, and they chose to do it. It says in verse 8, Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! These people were not stopping praising Jesus. They were giving all the glory to him right now. This last week, um, before, before uh, let me mention this. I don't know if he's here today. Uh, one of the kids in our, youth, in our youth group, Easton Hayworth, he just made it to state in golf last week. Um, I think he took second place. He's going to state. Pretty awesome. That's two kids in our church recently. Uh, my daughter, we were just at state this, this last week. Um, and it was really interesting. They've got this thing called the State Walk at J Janesville Craig High School. And so Abby, Abby, the, the homeschool kid, goes there last week for this state walk. And it's really cool. They, they, they kid, put all the kids who, who go to, a, to some state event, they're walking out in front. The band is playing behind them. And they're just, they're going through all the, all the halls at the school. And everybody's cheering them on. And it's kind of reminding me of th this story. Jesus coming in on the colt and everybody giving them praises. We don't, we don't typically do that very much. Uh, their coats down, praises on people, but that's what these people were doing. They were behind Jesus. They're laying their, their, their coats down in front of Jesus as he's, as he's riding this colt. But I want you to understand, this is probably Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon, and I don't know if you know, but Friday was the day that he was about to be crucified. We're talking four days from the time that he comes into the city everybody praising him, to now, nobody's standing up for him. How can it go from them saying, Hosanna, to crucify him in less than a week? It's a fascinating thought, right? Now, in truth, the, the crowd that on Thursday, Friday was, was chanting for Jesus to be killed, it was probably a much smaller crowd. It was actually probably many people in that crowd who were yelling, crucify him, who were, who were being paid by the religious leaders to go and do that. But you notice, in, if you know the story much, there was nobody standing up for Jesus when everybody was yelling, crucify him. Nobody was like, no, we were just praising this dude when he walked in three days ago. They just, they let the shouts of crucify him happen. I want you to understand this. Such a small minority can change a positive culture into a negative culture very quickly, if we aren't careful and we don't stand strong. It's amazing how quickly a positive culture can turn negative, right? It happens in our homes. 
You wake up in a really good mood, but your kid doesn't, and they come in all whiny, and all of a sudden you're like, it's just negative culture. If you've got friends who are, who are people who are like, the world is ending kind of people, you get around them and you're like, maybe the world is ending. I don't know. And you get to be around positive people and you just, you're, you're happier. It's positive. This can happen in a church. It can happen in a home. It can happen in a workplace. It can happen on a team. All it took was for the people who viewed Jesus well on Sunday morning to sit back and not say anything at all. And on Friday, Jesus was then given over to death by the over... But that one kind of hits me. That says something about the importance of us as people who follow Jesus. What am I saying when the crowd around me is turning negative? It's no secret that we as a nation are, are becoming less and less orientated towards Jesus. Like that's just... You look around and it's pretty obvious. And as the voice against religion and against God gets more and more vocal, how do we find our voice as followers of Jesus? How do we find that voice? If we don't find our voice, how in the world are, are people ever going to get to know who Jesus is? How are people ever going to get to understand truth if in those moments when we need to, we sit back like the crowd who was chanting hosannas to Jesus on Sunday, on Friday they stopped. That can't be us. And honestly, as we read this whole passage, um, it actually might have seemed like it's a weird, this, this story about Jesus coming in on donkey and then Jesus telling the fig tree to be cursed. It might be, it seems weird that these two stories are together. What is the connection between these two stories? It actually fits perfectly together, I think. See, what happens here, in real life, I think Jesus is trying to tell a parable to his, to his followers. He's trying to tell a real-life parable to you and to me. And we go here again into Mark 11, verses 12 through 14. It says, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He just, he just had this, this whole situation of him coming into the city, everybody praising him. Now they, they leave Bethany. Jesus is hungry. Seen in the distance, it was not seen tree and leaf. He went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not seasoned for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. See, I love the details that Mark gives here. He actually says, his disciples heard him say it. I don't know about you, but when I, when I get mad at inanimate objects, I can't say the word right now. It's a hard one. Inanimate objects. When I get mad at inanimate objects, what happens is I don't want people to hear it. Right? Like, you know it's dumb to get mad at things that can't talk to you. And so you're like, the thing is over here and, and everybody's over there and you wait till the right time and you're like, oh, I want to... And... And everybody's out there, and they didn't see it. But you understand here, Jesus, he yelled at the fig tree, and it, Mark says it, and his disciples heard him say it. Jesus is smart. He is wise. There's a reason why I think he wanted his disciples to hear this. It's going to sound a little bit off here. Um, like, why, why does Jesus do this un, unproportional madness at this, at this tree? 
Why does he get so mad? But there's a reason. Jesus says it loud enough for the disciples so that they can hear a lesson. A guy named David Guzik says it like this. He says, the tree was cursed for its pretense of leaves, not for its lack of fruit. Like Israel in the days of Jesus, it had the outward form but no fruit. In, the, in this picture, Jesus warned Israel and us of God's displeasure when we have the appearance of fruit but not the fruit itself. God is pleased when his people are all leaves. Uh, God isn't pleased when his people are all leaves and no fruit. See, the whole thing here is when he rode into the city and they looked right. When he walked up to this fig tree, the fact that there were leaves on the fig tree, anytime there were leaves on a fig tree, there's supposed to be fruit. So he walks up to the fig tree and he equates the fig tree with the people in Jerusalem who were praising his name. Everything looked right about it, but there was one thing off and there was no fruit. I know that, that sounds a little bit like my life a lot of times. And here's, I think, the question that we have to think about as we think through this story. Do we have the look and the sound of being fruitful for Jesus without actually having any fruit? Do I do everything right? Do I make everybody look and see this, this right outward appearance of what a Christian should? Do I talk the talk but not walk the walk? I'll be honest, even saying that, that there, there's something about that sometimes I don't like talking about because we really try to emphasize the grace of Jesus. But then this is almost like saying, well but are you doing enough? I want you to hear what it says in John 15, verse 4 through 8. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, Jesus is really adamant there that we are supposed to, as followers of Jesus, we are called to remain in him. We're called to remain in him so that we can actually then bear much fruit. God is a God of grace. And not all the time is, is our life going to look like a life that is bearing fruit. But ultimately, as Christians, that is what we're called to do. A Christian who's not bearing some fruit for Jesus or growing in the bearing of fruit, call it the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and I probably missed one. But if we're not growing in those things, something is missing. And how do we grow in those things? Jesus put it really simple, remain in me. Remain in me. Honestly, grace is the greatest thing that, I, that I, I love to talk about. I was talking about that with my friend on the, on the bus coming home last night. There's nothing I find more beautiful than the grace of Jesus. But the Bible also talks, there are some kind of conditions in some ways. The Bible talks about how we're, we're called to bear fruit. We're called to leave, go and leave our life of sin. We're called to seek first his kingdom. We're called to go and bear our cross. This isn't just something where we, we take something from God, this gift from God, and then we don't ever change and become a little bit more what he wants us to be. There is a growth process. There is a remain in me process where we bear fruit. It's all about remaining in him. 
question is, why is this the answer to, to bearing fruit? Why is remaining in Jesus the answer to bearing fruit? See, if it all depends on me to bear good fruit, I guarantee you I'm not going to bear good fruit. I'm not going to grow in living a life that's more like Jesus. If it's all dependent on me. And the times where I tried to do it on my own, it, it, it fails. But Jesus is the one who can bring good fruit out in us. We don't actually need to do the work to bear good fruit as long as we are working to remain in Jesus. See, Jesus talked about so stories of soil a lot of times in, in Scripture. You know, and talking about soil, it made sense to the people who were around Jesus because they grew a lot of food. That's, you know, to, to live, a lot of them, they'd have to grow food. And he, so he'd talk about soil a lot. And, and I used to, when we lived up in Manaqua, uh, about three hours north of here, my wife would try to grow stuff. And we had this soil that was just sand. Like, you'd put it in your hand, and like, it would just go right through. It was sandy stuff. And I'd make fun of her all the time. Like, honey, you can't grow anything in a garden. I thought it was her. And then we moved here. And all the soil is amazing. It's like farmland soil because it used to be farmland, all of it. And so we've got this amazing soil. And she just, honestly, it's like she just puts stuff in the ground, waters it a little bit, and stuff just shoots up. That's what it is like to remain in Jesus, but have good stuff come out. That's why Jesus is saying, just remain in me and good fruit will happen. It's hard for bad stuff to come out of a relationship that's good. We see it in our day-to-day -day friendships. Um, again, you, you, have, you have people around you who maybe aren't, aren't great in certain ways, and they maybe start to take you down in those same kinds of ways. You have people who are great for you and who challenge you, uh, and you become better in those areas. And I want us to understand this today. It is a good, good thing to examine our lives for good fruit. It is important for you to take, take inventory of your life. Okay, God, what is the good fruit that's in my life? Where is, where is the fruit not so good? And if there is little good fruit in your life, the easiest answer is you need to find ways to remain in Jesus a little bit more. If, if good fruit is not coming out, if you can sense in your spirit you're just not in a good place, the answer is, how do I remain in Jesus a little bit more? How do I plant myself in the soil of Jesus so that all of a sudden this good fruit can start to come? Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of pass over a little bit of the story where Jesus uh, takes the, the money changers' tables and he, he's angry again in this story, guys. It's interesting. Tw twice, really close here, Jesus is angry. Um, I'm going to pass over that story just a little bit. I want to get to the next part where he comes back to this fig tree. And they're walking up to the fig tree and one of his disciples, Peter, is shocked by what he sees. It says in verse 21, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Like that'd be, that would have been kind of cool to see, right? It would have been a little shocking. Like I, I don't want Jesus to get mad at me. <laughs> That's kind of what I would probably have been thinking. And Jesus' response here has actually caused... Christians throughout the world, I think, some misunderstanding. Because what he says is this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it'll happen. How can Jesus tell them to go and move a mountain? 
I don't know if anybody else grew up in the church and, and read this and struggled with it. Like, what is, what is Jesus actually saying here? But I want you to understand, anytime that Jesus talks about prayer, there is an underlying assumption that he is, he is essentially t- just telling us that has to work in conjunction with God's will. Never does he talk about prayer and not think you guys aren't going to be praying in God's will while you're praying for these things. It says in 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So praying for God's will when we pray, it's an important thing for us to do. It's the underlying condition that Jesus gives to us when we pray. And so I want you to hear what a guy named Warren Wearsby says about this passage we just read. He says, we shouldn't interpret Mark eleven twenty four 24 to mean that if you pray really, really hard and you believe, God is obligated to answer your prayer no matter what you ask. That kind of faith is not faith in God. Rather, it is nothing but faith in faith or faith in feelings. See, I think there's two kinds of people that struggle with, when, with this idea when Jesus says, when you pray, you can move mountains. The struggle, the two kinds of struggle is this. You got the one person who doesn't want to believe in God one bit. And they hear Jesus saying something like, he says we can move mountains. Obviously that can't happen. Jesus is, he's, he's wrong in some way. He's a liar. I don't want to believe it. But then you've got the second type of person who they take, take Jesus just as literally in this passage. And they're, they're so bent on, I got to have faith. If it's only by my faith that God is going to do things that they believe. If I don't believe that I can actually move a mountain when I pray, then I'm not trusting enough and, it's, and stuff's not going to happen. But do you understand, in that situation, we are depending on our faith, not on Jesus. If I'm so in that place of, I've got to believe, I've got to believe, even if, it's, even if Jesus said something that was, was more of an example, was hyperbole, I've got to believe it because... And that's where we struggle sometimes. We don't take Jesus sometimes in this passage of, maybe he's using some exaggeration to try to help us see a point. When other people exaggerate things, we get it. But sometimes when Jesus says it, it's like, ah, we just don't get it. Again, keeping in mind, Jesus assumes that we are going to move mountains. If it is God's will to literally move a mountain, then he will do it, because he can In this passage today, we see what happens when things aren't being done according to God's will. That's what this passage is really coming down to. The tree that had leaves and therefore should have had fruit, but it didn't. He got angry at that tree because it represented you and me. It represented those people in Jerusalem who weren't going after God's will. Things fall apart when we don't follow after God's will. We see the same concept later when Jesus goes into the temple courts. He throws the money changers' tables over. They were, doing, they were making that temple into a place that God had never wanted it to become. And so he got angry with it because they were going against God's will. I want you to understand this. God eventually will overthrow whatever is not being sought in his name for his will. Cheap faith is always going to be brought to light for what it is. I'll be honest, when I say that, that... Sometimes, like, oh man, that, that kind of, that scares me. Sometimes hearing stuff like that, like God is going to bring, he's going to overthrow things that aren't what he wants it to be. It, it sounds, ugh, I don't like hearing that. 
But I actually think it can be a freeing thing for us. Jesus promises to work in our lives and to move all of the metaphorical mountains that we have if we do a couple things. Two things he talks about in this passage. First one is this. Pray in faith, believing in Jesus and his will, and praying for his will. Do that. And the second thing is choose to forgive as he's forgiven you. Something that he slipped in at the, at the end of this, in verse 25. He tells us to forgive the people around us. If you want God to hear your prayer of asking for forgiveness, then he's saying you need to forgive. Literally, these two things, praying in faith, forgiving other people, they are the two things that will consistently take place. If it takes place in our lives, in our everyday lives, in our spiritual life, it'll be a sign that we are living out a true, real faith. And that real faith is going to keep us connected to God in a way that will transform our lives in powerful ways. See, I think ultimately this passage is trying to get at this. It's trying to get us to see the real Jesus. It's trying to get us to trust the real Jesus. And then to let our lives actually be a reflection of that seeing and that trusting. You and I, we would grow in these in the fruit of the Spirit. That we wouldn't be like this fig tree that Jesus came up to and, and it looked all right, but there was just no fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can't be people that just from a distance it looks all right, but it's just not there. Today, I want to ask God to give us the grace that the fruit that he wants in our lives would start to be lived out. Maybe we need to look and, and say, okay, God, where, where is the fruit missing? Where, where is it just not right? Where am, I, where am I looking the right part, but it's just not there? And I think what we see in this passage is that when we come to God in prayer and we ask God for his will to be done in us, he listens to that and he works in us and he builds those fruit, those fruits of the spirit within us. So that's my, that's my call for us today. Let's pray that God would show us where the fruit is not at and ask him to grow that fruit in us. Let's pray together. Lord. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.